The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris here, and Uriah, of course, is here as well. Guys, we are podcasting during the NFL Draft. How are your teams looking so far? I think Uriah's team and Chris's team are either on the clock or have already picked. Chris is, well, even though he's not a claimed team, he does have the Falcons because he's a local Georgia. I I do not claim ownership of the Atlanta Falcons. I I reject that notion. Okay. Well, who is your team? Well, do you even have a team, Chris? I don't have a team. I am a chameleon. (laughs) I I cheer for who I feel like cheering for. Okay. Okay. You're like my dad. That drives me nuts, though. Um, Uriah, how are your Eagles looking, man? I bleed green. Speaking of green, if if we could get Aaron Rodgers to wear Eagle Green instead of Packer Green, I'd be good with that. I don't know if Hertz is ready. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen this right now, just because you know the Eagles are still kind of rebuilding. But you know, who knows? Who knows? They'll probably take. They'll probably take an offensive lineman or a cornerback, some type they of actually, secondary player. They actually just got a wide receiver, the kid from Alabama. Oh, they picked? Oh, okay. They got the mm. kid from Alabama. D, I, don't, I don't know his first name, but his last name is Smith. And the uh, Giants it. just traded with the ooh, Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears might be going for Justin Fields, who is the last quarterback on the draft. That could be interesting. That would be very I interesting. used to own a Bears jacket as a child, but <laughs> I can't claim the Bears if they took Justin Fields. I have family in Chicago, though. I am a diehard Washington fan. All the way through. Sorry, listener. Boo you. We we'll, have a. We we'll have give a you new... a chance to edit that. We'll <laughs> like give you a chance next... to take that back. Nah, nah. My <laughs> uncle, my uncle instilled it in me. It's happening. May God rest my uncle's soul, but it's not changing. Go Washington football team. Woo! You know, cheer. You know, actually, next off season, we are actually going to get a real name. Thank God, because I can't handle that much longer. But um. We're not here just to talk about the NFL draft, though. I might be chiming in occasionally to let you guys know what happened. Like I said, the Bears are on the clock at 11, and I suspect that they're going to get Justin Fields. But Chris, go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, so we're going to start off with the uh, recent games for Philadelphia. Two pretty commanding victories. Lucas, we'll start off with the Atlanta game. That was a 127-83 win for Philadelphia. Obviously, the Hawks were down a few key players. Trey Young and... Bogdan Bogdanovich, the key names there. Arguably, they're two best players with how Bogdanovich has been playing lately. But still a pretty dominant win over a potential top four seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, what were some of your big takeaways? Well, it's actually the three top players because you got to remember DeAndre Hunter as well, who's missed He's most. He's not their t- in their top three players. He is their best perimeter defender, and he was having He's a not break. better than Clint Capella or John Collins. Um, we're not, okay. no. But but it's more he's almost as important to their defense as Clem Capella is. Am I wrong? Yes, but you can talk now. No, 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 no. I'm I'm going to argue that he's their best perimeter defender. Anyway, I didn't. Okay, continue. Well, anyway, the big takeaways from this is that Chris Dunn has some uh, some issues with Matisse Thybul. So. Chris Dunn, get over yourself. You're not the best defender in the NBA. Matisse Thibault might be. No, I'm joking. Of course, it's Ben Simmons this year, but Thibault deserves an all-defensive spot again. Is it? What? (laughs) I'm sorry. What? We're not going to relitigate the defense play of the year stuff, but... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, Chris, uh, Thibault had three blocks. 
Uh, Tyrese Maxey went off again. I think he was the player of the game after the game, right, guys? 11 points in 14 minutes. But uh, Seth Curry finally is starting to look like the Seth Curry we saw at the beginning of the season. 20 points on 4 of 7 shooting from deep, 8 of 12 shooting from the field. Uh, I think I saw a crazy, I think I heard a stat on the broadcast thing that when Curry scores 20 or more points, the Sixers are like 8 and 0 this season. So if we can get this from Curry more often, um, the Sixers are going to be in great shape. George Hill looked like a steady veteran playing with that second unit. We saw, guys, we saw the small ball second unit. It happened, and I liked it. Uh, Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with your Seth Curry point. I think an aggressive Curry is a real game changer for this team. Obviously, the Sixers are starting to get healthy, you know, knock on wood. Um, I believe there's something like 21-4 and four when their entire starting five plays this season. That's obviously a very impressive number. So, mm-hmm. ideally, this health carries on. Um, ben Simmons had a really strong start to the game. He's the one who really got Philly off the ground early. Gave the Hawks all sorts of problems on both sides of the ball. So, a really strong game from him, which, which hasn't been the case too often of late when he has been healthy. Uh, so, uh, I think that was good to see. And then, obviously, we can't take much away from this because the Hawks are down two, two or three of their best players. But... There's a not zero chance that the Hawks and the Sixers cross paths at some point in the postseason. So beating them by 44 points. And this is a Hawks team that has done fairly well without Trey Young even. Uh, I think that's a pretty pretty good sign. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. I guess the only other thing that I can take away from it is that, I mean, the, this game didn't help Joel Embiid's MVP case, but let's be real. I think Joel lost that MVP race when he sat against the Bucks a second time, just because I, I do think that's a good point. Cause I, I, Clint Capella did a fairly good job um, in, in certain spots. So in certain spots, but then Joel ended up just coming back and just like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, so that's like one small sliver of, of positive for Atlanta, but this was Philly's ball game from the tip. So there, there's not much to write home about. Yeah, well, there was that wasn't the only game this week, though, was it, Chris? Yep, we got to talk about my 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 boy Alexei Pokushevsky, who won three Oklahoma of City Thunder field and one of six from the three point line and had five three turns. for eleven from the field, eleven for eleven in my heart. Um, oh my gosh! Great, great game from the Thunder. They lost by, I believe, what was it? It was thirty-one nine. points. Yeah. Um, yeah, 11 points for Moses Brown, 14 for Darius Baisley, 22 off the bench from Ty Jerome to lead them. When Ty Jerome is your leading scorer, no disrespect to Ty Jerome, you're normally in a pretty bad spot. The Sixers, on the other hand, pretty much ran away with this one early as well. Embiid had 21 points in 23 minutes on only 10 field goal attempts. Pretty solid all-around effort. 11 off the bench from Maxi, 10 off the bench from Paul Reed who Lucas has now jumped on the bandwagon for. Um, but yeah, what were some of your takeaways, Lucas? Well, thanks for stealing my thunder on that. But yes, I, I this game got me on the Paul Reed bandwagon. I, I'm ready for him to be full-time fill-in starter for Joel if, that, if, if and when needed. I think he deserves, him and Maxie need to be the, first, the 11th and 12th men in that rotation ahead of Mike Scott who, let's be real, is not looking good. Did he even play in this guy? Uh, let's see here. Scott's got... I don't even see him in the box score for this game, Chris. He did not play. Wasn't he hurt for that game? Was he? I could be uh, wrong, Uriah. Was, wasn't yeah, he let, me, let me check here. Uh, I don't I recall like him playing. I don't think he played. Uh, yeah. well, he might he have had a hip injury or something, some type of hip. Yeah, I know issue. he was questionable against Atlanta, right? So I, I feel like he might have been hurt. But Okay. Well, yeah, so be, Mike yeah. didn't play. Anthony Tolliver finally scored some NBA points. Good for him. I mean, well, yeah, this was Anthony another... Anthony Tolliver has scored plenty of NBA points. I mean, this season, referring to this season. Okay, yeah. Yeah, sorry for, sorry for the misunderstanding there. Um, you know what I find interesting is that despite... In these, okay, so the 
he um, Isaiah Joe looked great in the Atlanta game. He was two of three from the three point line, but he was one of four from the three point line, one of six from the field. It was not a great game for it. It's just it's I guess it's a part of a shooter's rhythm, and he's not finding his rhythm because he's not getting consistent minutes. But it would be nice if he could for sure. Now, our new sponsor is none other than Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Now, nothing feels better than being able to enjoy a rich, smooth, and creamy chocolate and knowing that you're doing something good for your body. What they do is they start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, and guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market, and they're proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. They're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Again, that's MINUTE15. You can find their website at earthechofoods.com backslash Minute Media. And now, back to the podcast. I will also say that this was another solid game from Ben Simmons overall in limited minutes. I think, was this his first game back from the From the flu, flu virus, whatever it was. But granted, OKC is, you know, they were playing Poku at the two, like, all love to Poku, but if he's dribbling around and initiating mm-hmm. the offense, it's not hard for Ben to, like, get in the passing lane to do his thing. Yeah, he, he I don't think OKC is the, the toughest matchup right now. And, oh, this game was, a, uh, I think the Sixers uh, were too shy of breaking a franchise record of, with 22 steals, the franchise record was 24, so... Good for them. Uh, let's see, player. Let's see, Harris, Joel, Ben, and Thibault all had at least three steals. My man Mason Jones looks solid in limited minutes. I got, I got nothing else, Chris. Do you, I mean, Corkmaz looked good as a fill-in starter for Danny Green. Yeah, so. I mean, really, I think the main takeaways from these two games is that Philly was able to end their four-game losing streak and get back on track. They're still behind Brooklyn in the race for that one seed, and they're they're running out of time a bit. But, again, this team has been really good when they're healthy. Getting Ben back was huge. And OKC is a pretty terrible team right now, and they are actively keeping their best players on the bench. So, you know, that, that's about as good an opponent as any to, to break out of a funk. So I, I do think it was beneficial for the Sixers to just have a blowout type of night and to get back into that rhythm and it, it seems to have propelled them in, in a pretty big way given the uh, outcome of that Hawks game. I do need to make a NFL draft an, uh, announcement the Bears did take fields and as a person who, yes they did so as a person whose family is from Chicago I'm happy for my family who are Chicago Bears fans um, I think that's, uh, that's probably Life a good Bears thing. fan is that who you are, Chris? Is that is that is that you're sinking in now? Is that the boat you boat you're sinking in now? Die hard. Uh, you mean, what do you mean sinking? We are riding high. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and change gears, and we're gonna go ahead and talk about the Sixers clinching a playoff spot for the remainder of the season that happened in the Hawks game last night. We are recording, of course, the night of the draft, uh, Thursday night, uh, April 29th. Um, so, Chris, are we surprised that the Sixers have been a top team in the East for a good portion of the season? The top team. Uh, not currently, but for most of the season, they are currently 41-21. and 21. How do we feel about that? I'm not terribly surprised. I'm a bit surprised by how poor certain teams in the East are playing, mainly Boston and Miami. Mm-hmm. But I'm not surprised that Philly's near the top. Um, you know, it was always possible that Brooklyn would, you know, take some time to gel or go through injuries. They're obviously still the number one seed right now, but 
Brooklyn was always going to be a bit of a wild card in the regular season, if not in the postseason. And Milwaukee's Milwaukee, but there was always a good chance that Philly was going to be in that conversation. I think most people viewed Doc Rivers as at least a minor upgrade over Brett Brown, if not much more. I think there was clearly some optimism in what he would bring. Um, Joel was bound to have a bounce back season of sorts with, you know, better personnel around him and with just how clearly motivated he was after how last season ended. I don't think anyone could have really expected the the type of season that he's been having, but he was going to play better. And Embiid was already a borderline top 10, if not a clear top 10 guy before this MVP outbreak. So, you know, uh, it's not surprising. It's great. It's probably better than I would have expected if I was making a projection before the season. But I don't know if it's, you know, shocking. I think, I mean... Let's be real. The Sixers were the sixth seed last year, right? At the uh, uh, yeah, they were the sixth seed. It was not looking you know, like Brett Brown had run his course. It wasn't you know stale voice on death ears regarding how he was trying to reach the locker room. It just wasn't there. Doc Rivers comes in. Daryl Morey comes in, and for them to be the top seed of the East, granted. Brooklyn has been dealing with injuries for most of the year, but still surpassing a team like Milwaukee and just the, some of the other top teams, like you said, p- performing poorly. It's, it's good to see the Sixers. I think we could have expected them to – I think I expected them to be in the top four, but to be in the top two for most of the season is a very – is a pleasant surprise. Uh, I don't think I saw them exactly at 41 and 21 at this point, but, you know, it's it's. I think it's a solid – I think – it, I think it's a solid win for the for the Sixers for sure. I think I'm surprised because I think clearly Miami they were the the best team to go to the finals last year, so I think expectations for them were higher. Milwaukee, I think even right now is a a more talented team with the addition of Drew Holiday. Brooklyn's Brooklyn even without the addition of James Harden who was traded in midseason. I think they probably had the edge over the Sixers in Boston. They just kind of fell flat. Toronto, there was, you know, coin flip. I thought Philly might have been the fourth or fifth best team. So I, I'm surprised. I, I really am. Pleasantly surprised, like you said, Lucas. Well, uh, I will say this about Miami. I don't think they were the best team in the East last year. I think they got the hottest at the right time in the bubble. I think that along – and. Granted, I will say I will cut Miami some slack because they dealt with some major COVID and injury issues, probably from fatigue injury-wise at the beginning of the season. And it just it's taken them a long time to get adjusted. Now they did get some solid additions in the you know trade market with Victor Oladipo, though he's not healthy right now. And you got Dwayne Dedman, which I think has been a steal for them. He's been playing fantastic for them since getting there. Um, so I expect them to be a tough out in the playoffs. And I, if the Sixers stay at the two seed, I would not want to see them at the seventh seed. That is not a matchup I would like to see, to be honest. Um, yeah. Not, we wouldn't, playing, yeah. Yeah. The Sixers playing Jimmy in the first round is like nightmare material. Like I'm sure the Sixers would win that series. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be like held accountable for that prediction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where like it could literally, it could raise my blood pressure for that like two week period of that series because I'm I believe that game that series would go six or seven just because how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is and how Jimmy likes to get up for the competition, and I think. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he say something along the lines of let's get into the playoffs together and I got us the rest of the way? Yeah, which frankly, yeah. I any other player says that other than LeBron, and I'm like, whatever. But with Jimmy, I'm like, okay. you know. I mean, he outdid LeBron. That one. What was it? What game was that in the finals? What game where he had like a 45-point triple-double? What game was that? I don't remember, but but Jimmy's been playing really well this season when he has been on the court. Um, mm-hmm. I think Miami's issues are more just depth related at this point. Depth I don't think it's. A, it, and I think they 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 overhyped Tyler. I think they they Tyler think, Hero has struggled. Bam has been a bit less of what than what he was expected to be after last season. But 
you know, Jimmy's still Jimmy. So they're going to be a tough out. I will say this. I think they messed up Tyler Hero because they tried to play him at the point guard, and that's not his position. And I know you have Jimmy Butler playmaking, but still, you need to have him as the off guard completely. Don't have him bring up the ball. That's not his strength. Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero is still young, guys. You got to give him a couple more years to to prove himself. And Kendrick Nunn, he he was a flash in the pan. I don't know what he disappeared oh, he, completely he, last year. No, he came back the second half of the season. He's playing pretty. He's had this year. Good, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. And and Bam is he's their second All Star. He's definitely a. He's like a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot. But like Chris said, Jimmy Butler is he's pretty much the man, and you got to watch out for him. And I would not want to play him in the first round. No, I don't. I think that that if I'd rather, like I said, that's why I want the number one seed more than I want home court advantage, though. That would be nice. I just want to avoid Miami in the first round. That's, that's the honest I mean, truth. I'll say this. We've kind of gone back and forth on like Miami or Boston the past few weeks. I think I've finally landed on Miami being far and away the team I would prefer to not face. Uh-huh. Um, I, I know I said Boston like a week or two ago, but I, I think I'm pretty comfortable right now saying Miami's the the guy the like team the, you want to avoid. Boston just looks like a te- a lost team. Yeah, they had like yeah. a, a, a solid week there, but now they're back to getting their butts kicked by Charlotte. You know, Jalen Brown injury notwithstanding. So, I think Ty Jerome lit them up, and the, the yeah. yeah, Ty Jerome lit them Frankly, up. Frankly, Ty Jerome dropped on us. So yeah, well, to be granted, but that wasn't in a winning effort. Oh yeah, they, no, they lost to OKC right after we stomped OKC. Yeah, uh, things OKC are looking great. A, yeah, OKC was on a what well, it was a fourteen game losing streak, and granted, they only had Jalen Brown, but that should be enough to beat a team full of G leaguers and rookies. No offense. To OKC, but that is exactly what they are right now. And like, come on, come on, Boston. No, I honestly, I mean, if I was Brad Stevens, I might have taken that that Indiana job because you might lose this job this year, man. I, I don't think so. I I think he's pretty safe. But uh, well, I mean, we'll see, man. I mean, who are you gonna replace him with? That's always the question. There's not anyone out there who I'd be like, "Yeah, take." Well, we didn't see Brad Stevens coming to the NBA until he did. Yeah, but Brad Stevens was a pretty big name at Butler with how that program was doing. There's not really a name like that. I mean, we were saying the same thing about Brett Brown. Who are we gonna replace Brett Brown with? Is there anybody better available? That's that. I mean, correct me if I'm. You're right. Were we not? I think everyone's pretty comfortable saying Brad Stevens is a better coach than Brett Brown. But yeah, I, I get I don't that. Think it's I get the same. that. I, I I get that, but that's what we would that was what we were saying during the season last year. Well Ty Lu was always out there. Sam Cassell was always out there. Once Mike D'Antoni was fired, he was obviously a big name. I, I think there were some pretty reasonable candidates. I think Mike D'Antoni well no, he wasn't fired. He quit. Well, actually, no. His contract just ran out, and he decided not to, not to come back. Which yeah, you know, yeah. But yeah. But anyway, not the yeah. point here. Uh, now, Chris, switching back it because we got a little sidetracked there. The Sixers only have ten games left. What do you think the final record will be in this eventual playoff standing? The games left, I should note, are Atlanta, San Antonio, Chicago, Houston, New Orleans, Detroit. Indiana, Miami, and Orlando twice. Um, well, you know, it's it's tough to predict individual games like that. Well let's I'll... Chris, let's here, I'll just tally it up, okay? So I'll just do Lucas and I'll do Chris. I'll say that the the opponent and you just say win or loss and we'll tally it up. All right, okay. you ready? Uh yeah. Hawks. Chris, uh, is that a win for Philly or a loss? Win. All right, so Chris has a win. Lucas? Win. All right. Let's go San Antonio, Chris. Uh, Win. Lucas? Win. Chicago? Win. Win. Houston? Win. (laughs) Win. All right. New Orleans? That's in Philly. That's in Philly this time. A loss. They have to to lose at some point. All right. I'm gonna say I was. I I was gonna say loss too. I do not like that Stephen Adams matchup for Joel. All Um, right. Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. Win. Win. Indiana. 
loss. Win. Okay. And Miami? Loss. Loss. And Orlando, back-to-back games. Win-win. Win-win. Okay. So 48-24 and for Chris. And... 49 and 23 for Lucas. So is that enough for them to take the top top seed, Chris? Um, well, frankly, I, I haven't looked at Brooklyn's schedule. I'll tell you right now, their schedule is a lot tougher than the Sixers. They got to go yeah. through Milwaukee twice. They play the Mavs. They play the Nuggets. Pretty much every team that Brooklyn plays from here out has a reason to try and win. Whether they're a seventh place team or even ninth or tenth place team, teams are trying to get into the playoff, you know, that special play in series. So Philly has a lot easier schedule. Chicago and Cleveland are the only teams that they that don't have a realistic shot. And they play Chicago twice and Cleveland once. Yeah. So like Brooklyn's only a game ahead in the loss column. They don't have a huge Huge lead over Philly in anything. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant being back helps them quite a bit. And even without James Harden, when they have Kevin and Kyrie, they're they're a pretty hard team to beat. But ten games is a very a very slim margin, it would seem. But I I still think the Sixers end up getting it. I think they want it more. Like you said, Brooklyn has a very tough schedule. Like even before looking at it, I mean, it's been pretty well documented that they have some some tough games coming up. So. Orlando, Milwaukee, Dallas, and Denver for their next five games. Mm-hmm. And uh, Philadelphia has the tiebreaker over Brooklyn, yes. correct? Yeah, so they I only have so. to make up a game, and they're at least tied. So I, I'll give the nod to Philly. Yeah, I'm going to say Philly, too. I Yeah, I think so, just because that Milwaukee back-to-back is going to be really tough. Portland's not an easy out. Dallas isn't an easy out. Denver's surprisingly holding on to that fourth seed, even without Jamal Murray. Give uh, Michael Porter Jr. some credit for really stepping up his game there. Uh, San Antonio's still in the race, I believe. Chicago is still trying to prove something. Cleveland is the only team that they're going to have a surefire win. Uh, I think I think it's more than likely Brooklyn goes like six and four in this stretch where the Sixers go like eight and two. So, yeah. What, that was my guess, right? Uriah had like eight and two record for them. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, so I think yeah, the, I think the Sixers have that. All right, and we will move on now, Lucas, and talk about the Sixers' success record-wise, and specifically when they have both Joel and Ben on the floor. Um, they've won eighty-two percent of their games so far, in which both Embiid and Simmons have played. That's twenty-eight and six. Does that stat mean much to you going into the playoffs? It means everything to me. It does, because first off, it shows me that, first off, let's be real. People have been saying for years that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons aren't a good mesh. This stat alone proves it this season. They're, they're winning 82% of their games. That's that's really good. Um you know, granted, they neither one of them have been super healthy this year, but as long as they're playing together in the playoffs, I think they have a puncher's chance against anybody in the East. At least, if not a be a favorite versus... I still think they're a favorite versus the Bucks. I know you don't, but I do. And I think they have a, they have a puncher's chance against, against the, the Nets, if, if the Nets are healthy. But if they're not, and it's just KD and Kyrie, I think the Sixers will or fair to be favored in that one. I, I just want to jump in real quick, Chris. So listening to the, I missed the podcast. I couldn't be there. Obviously I was celebrating my uh, wedding anniversary. And Woo-hoo! so, so you guys were talking about the, the buck series, a possible buck series with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Jordan, it, out of all the players he was afraid of, he was afraid of Matisse Thybul. You yes, could hear him yes, quivering. Yes. You could hear him yes. quivering in his vocal and his tone. He's just so oh, he couldn't. Even, he was so nervous about Matisse. He couldn't even say his name right. He kept calling because, him Tybal. He's like Tybal. Yeah, because yeah, Tybal is length. <laughs> because he knows he could bother a guy like uh, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton. Yeah. Yeah. However, I will say this: I still think they're better. I think Drew Holiday is a tremendous upgrade 
from <laughs> uh, who who they trade for him? Uh, Eric Eric, Eric Gordon, Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, Bledsoe. Drew Holiday is a is a beast on defense, offense. He can do so much more. He's more versatile than than Gordon. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I or yeah, I. I just I don't like that matchup. And Giannis is on a mission. I, I don't want any part of the Bucks. Well, I, I will say yeah. this. They might have the better roster, but I certainly think the Sixers have a better coaching staff. And while I think they have the better overall roster, I agree to disagree, Chris. But I think Doc Rivers is a better coach because guess what? He's proven he can win a championship. The other thing here is that you got to remember, and I said this in the podcast. You're right. I don't know if you had a chance to. Well, no, you listened to it because you, you know, obviously. But um, I said the Sixers have a de facto closer, an elite closer in Joel Embiid. The Bucks don't have that, and that's what I think is going to ch- change the series for the Sixers. All right. I think saying the Bucks don't have a closer is a bit. Much. I mean, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are both very capable of getting their own shots. And Giannis have a bit big shots at the end of games to win a game or a series for a team. They have not. I I think Middleton is perfectly capable of doing that. He's capable. Giannis hasn't done it yet, though. Like not in the playoffs, maybe, but very few people have like series-winning shots in the playoffs. That's not not everyone's Dame Lillard, but. Well, then, I mean, like, like, you know, like you already said, just throw Matisse on there, and then, bam, he's useless. I, I don't think he'd be useless. I think that's an exaggeration. I, I mean, I Middleton, it was an exaggeration, but you get my point. Even if you think, like, Embiid is the best player in that series, which I think is highly debatable, I, I think Middleton and Holiday, I'd probably give the edge over Ben and Tobias, generally speaking, as second and third options. I'd... I much prefer the Bucks supporting cast. I think they have a more accomplished group of players in that second unit. I think Brooke Lopez, while he's not going to shut Embiid down, we've we've seen pretty clearly that Embiid's basically too good for that this year, can give him more problems in conjunction with the length of guys like Giannis and Drew and, and Chris bringing double teams. Like They have the personnel to give Embiid some issues. And granted, the Sixers, as we discussed, have, you know, the personnel to give Giannis issues. And I think it'd be a pretty interesting battle between two very similar teams. I, I think the Bucks are a pretty compelling team. But if you want to listen to that stuff, you know, go to listen to our podcast from Monday. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. We, yeah, we could get into, like I said, I, I trust Joel Embiid to close out that series. There's nobody on that team that I, I can definitively say, oh, if I give the ball to them, I know for a fact they're, they're they have a high chance of winning this game. I know that for a fact for Joel. So that's where I stand on that. Non-believers, yes, I'm talking to you too. Anyway, okay. but, but my but my point is this: okay. is that the team is built correctly around them. You got shooters, you have defenders, and you have other playmakers besides Ben and George Hill and Shake Milton. Though primarily, let's be real, George Hill is probably the second, the best one. And you have shooters, and that's how this that's how this duo is going to win games is through you know surrounded by shooters, then running the offense, which has shown you know the Sixers were without Ben for four games and they lost those four games in a row. So Ben's really important to the offense, and Joel's obviously an MVP candidate. So his you know contribution can't be overlooked. They they make a tandem of probably the best two. Uh, I mean, let's be real. I mean, we talked last uh, last week about uh, Thibel and Ben being the best perimeter defending duo, but can we say that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons make the best defensive duo on any team, period? I think we can. Yeah, 100%. So with that in mind, you know, I yeah, I think, you know, this stat of them winning, you know, during the regular season this high, it does mean something for the playoffs. I think it says they have a puncher's chance to get out of the East for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, the, you know, the Ben Simmons can't play with Joel Embiid crowd has been wrong since the beginning of time. That's never Mm -hmm. been the case. They've been successful pretty much since they stepped on the court together. Obviously the offensive fit isn't ideal. Ben has his limitations, which have been exploited in the playoffs before. But on the other side of that coin, Ben has had some pretty remarkable postseason games. Like he, he hasn't been a total bust or anything in the playoffs. So I think 
generally speaking, the narrative around Ben in the playoffs is pretty misleading. And you spoke about defense. Even if the offensive fit isn't great, they're probably the best defensive fit, if not the best outright tandem, like you mentioned. Like, they fit really well together on defense. They can cause teams a ton of problems, and that's without factoring Matisse into the equation. So, for sure, when they're on the floor together, they're going to be hard to beat. I think the Sixers are very much a contender in the East, even if I'm giving the Bucks a slight, slight edge. Even if I'm giving the Nets an edge, there's very much a world in which Philly can, can win the East. It's certainly possible. And like, like good teams are at their best when their best players are on the floor. So Ben, for all his problems, is still very clearly the second best player on this team. Still the defensive player of the year in a lot of people's minds. And th- there's no reason to expect that, you know, that won't continue in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, yeah, you make some really good points there, Chris, for sure. Uh, Lucas, what do we predict Joel and Ben will do differently this time around in the playoffs compared to years where they were eliminated? I think this year, and this goes to Doc Rivers more than anything else. We've been saying this since Doc Rivers was a candidate for the job. Doc Rivers gives players their, gives them their responsibilities, their jobs. He tells them what they need to do for the team, and they do it. I think it's going to be differently this year because I, in regards to Ben, the Sixers aren't going to worry about him on offense. He's going to run the offense. He's going to attack. You know, he's going to attack the paint when when the opening is there. He's going to get the open shooters, and the ball's going to be in his hands. Let's let's be real. In past playoffs, well, Brett Brown has been ball- yeah, this has pretty much been Ben Simmons' worst offensive season, pretty by a pretty solid margin. Like, I don't I'm think not, we can I, did, I didn't that. say did, did, did I say that he was having a, I mean I'm saying in regards well, he to said he know his role and he'd play better but that hasn't been the case all season like he's, well, he's I don't, his worst offense no, no, I, I, no I'm, I'm I'm not saying in regards to when I say he's going to play better I wasn't referring to this season I'm referring to last po, po, previous postseasons in the terms of having the ball in his hands I was getting to that I promise you I was but no, the ball is going to be in his hands this postseason. In previous postseasons, the balls the ball hadn't been in his hands because Brett Brown took it out think, of. Do his... you think that's the the best way to use him in the half court in the postseason when defense is king? Well, I mean, do you think that's ideal? We're going to find out because Doc Rivers is not going to. I don't think Doc Rivers is going to take it out of his hands all that often. Well, now occasionally reason, it might be. The... the reason Brett took it out of his hands was because Jimmy was on the team, and that's when they almost took down Toronto with Kawhi, that was probably their best run in the playoffs to date. It, it was undoubtedly their best run as a duo in the playoffs so far. And well, well let's, 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 let's look back. The first year was their first year in the playoffs when they got eliminated by the Celtics, right? What behind the ears, they weren't ready. Ben wasn't ready for it. Of course, he looked like a deer in headlights. Okay. Second year, Jimmy Butler takes over. Okay, fair enough. The guy's a closer. Can't deny that. He's an all-star. He's a superstar in the playoffs. Third year, Ben's out of the playoffs, not a factor. So we don't know. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree that the sample size isn't huge, but... So, so I mean, who whose hands are you going to put it in, Chris? That's that's my question. Are you going to put oh, it no. in Jordan's You're going to put it in Ben's hands, but okay, I'm asking then. if you think that's truly, like, ideal in a playoff setting. If I not, think it's, this like, roster... necessity... Listen. Ideal. As soon as he crosses, as soon as he crosses half court, they're going to go into their set. They're going to do dribble handoffs. They're going to do screen and rolls. Tobias, he's going to give the ball to Tobias as soon as he yeah. crosses half court, and I, he's going to go totally to the dunker agree. spot. That's the best, well, most know, efficient, safest way. Well, I will say this: we've seen point Tobias this year, and it has worked out well for the team. Yeah. Tobias has yeah, been I very agree. good. Point. And you bring up a good point there, Uriah, because I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, yeah, Tobias can definitely run the offense to a certain extent. I wouldn't trust him as much as I would trust like Jimmy Butler or even Ben, but I think Ben can definitely I think him initiating the offense and I think him I don't know if you I I don't know if we'll see him ideally in the dunker spot. What I would like to see, and maybe maybe we haven't seen it this season very often just because uh, Doc Rivers is whole, you know, keeping it in his bag, but we might see some b- pick and rolls with Ben and Tobias, and they could switch who's being the ball handler. That would be fun, in my opinion. Um, but 
you know. Well, generally speaking, you can't really run a high pick and roll with Ben. It's just not going to do much because his defender's not going to come up. But well, the, well, uh, what I'm saying is that you wouldn't have Ben as the ball handler. Then you would have Tobias. Oh yeah, that's normally how those things have been run this season. We've seen like like Ben doesn't do a ton of that in general. Well, but I, I I think we might see more of that this season, this postseason. I think maybe Doc has been holding back on that just so that nobody knows, you know, so that it's not well, like. A, here's another the, here's another factor that's going to really create a distinction between the past two years in the playoffs is the whole idea that you now have gravity with the addition of green and curry. They mm-hmm. really, really adds, you know, a couple more feet of space, which is going to help Joel and Ben. But the moment you try to put Ben and he's trying to dump the ball down low to Joel, they're just going to back completely off of Ben. And we've seen in the, in the, in the regular season, there's a few instances where teams just, automatically double team Joel in the post. So, so yeah, it's personnel difference. Like you said, Luke is having a new coach who knows what the heck he's doing with, with his personnel. It's going to be interesting once it comes around. Yeah. I think yeah, look, one I'm, thing that I think we'll see when that double team happens with Ben's guy, what I would like to see. And I, I hope that Ben will actually do this because he's been kind of like he hit or miss all this. I would like to see him dive to the basket then and Joel hit him on a back cut, like just a little over the shoulder pass, uh, you know, Ben cutting down to the lane. I think that would be a really nice way to attack that double team. But Well, that doesn't I mean, always work if Joe's in the post. It, it depends on where they're doubling. But I, I agree that Ben could certainly make better use of off-ball movement. I think... I mean, obviously, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit because I, I've defended I him say. time and time again on this pod. I'm I'm quite a fan of him. Um, but, like, you made a good point about shooting Lucas. I think Ben's best playoff series by far was his first against Miami when it was, for the most part, just him and shooters. Like, he kicked butt mm-hmm. in that series. Um, granted, he was much more aggressive that season and during that stretch than he has been pretty much all of this season. I think that's a bit of a concern. Part of it is probably him just kind of ceding to, to Joel because Joel's and, having and the Tobias. season he's having. And Tobias. And Tobias. But, I mean, ideally he'd be much more aggressive regardless. I, I think that's been his biggest issue all season. But even as well, a let me Let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you guys this because the two postseasons that Tobias has played with, with the Sixers, he has struggled in. Do you think we're going to see Tobias take a step back in his play like we have seen in the past, or do you think he's going to step up his play this year because he has Doc as his coach now? Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not worried about Tobias. I think he'll be fine. I, I think the Doc Rivers thing is real. I'm, I'm not really worried about Ben either, but I do think it's worth, like, posing the questions because he has been exploited in certain matchups in the past. Teams are going to ignore him in crunch time. And even with Joel playing more out in the middle, more out in space and getting different looks, that has really helped the Sixers offense quite a bit. I do agree that Doc is going to put them in better spots than Brett did. I I think they're better off than they were in the past. I I do think there are still real and valid questions about how Ben and Joel will translate in the really critical playoff moments. Really more about Ben. I'm, I'm not worried about Joel, obviously. But how Ben's presence affects Joel is, is still a question, I think. I wonder if we'll finally see Doc stagger their minutes like he because he hasn't been up to this point. He's been playing them together. But do you yeah, think we'll finally like, see? Look, do you again, think we'll like see, Ben and yeah. Joel are an extremely good duo. Yeah. They have been not denying that. They have been great their entire careers together. They've just murdered teams since season one. But there, there are the playoffs are a different beast. We've seen that in flashes in the past. Obviously that that first Celtic series being the most evident case of it, it it's still worth asking. And, and Doc has not been a particularly great playoff coach of late. Basically last season, granted the Clippers had issues well beyond, you know, on court tactical stuff, but it, it's, I don't think Doc is like some X's and O's genius on the level of Eric Spolstra. No, he is. He's not a bad X's and O's coach. Let's be clear on that either. Well, he's, he's not. He, he's a, a really good coach, but he yeah. has struggled to he adjust. He does have limitations. And if Ben is 
you know, taking a dump on the floor, how willing is he to adjust? I think that's the question. <laughs> Did you just say uh, taking a dump on the floor? I, I, I think that's the straightest <laughs> way that you could say that, though. So I'll give you credit for that. Um, if he does, Chris, I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he'll finally get in Ben's grill about not being aggressive. Who knows? Maybe Joel will. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll cause the Sixers to really consider making a trade this season, maybe for a guy like, I don't know, Zach Levine or um, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, who knows? It might, it, you know, either that, I don't know. Because, like, there's been too many series, too many playoff series where Ben has just been a non-factor off, you know, scoring-wise. But at well, this point, really, I'm not really. like one. <laughs> that Celtics series has really been the only, like, god-awful Ben series. The first I mean, that, that, that Toronto series wasn't great either, though. He was pretty good in that Toronto series, and he was also guarding Kawhi, which takes a fair amount of energy, you know, to his credit. Yeah, fair enough. But my point, my point is this, is that I don't think we should be expecting, you know, 16 to 18 points from Ben this postseason. If we get 12 of to 15, I think, I think I, based off of this season, you can't expect him to – honestly – he probably won't be the team. He might be the team's fourth leading scorer or fifth leading scorer. And that's just a product of him not being nearly as aggressive this year. And we can't expect that. Now what we can, what we can expect is him not to be a liability on offense, which means off ball movement, attacking when Joel is getting double team, getting to the open spots and either taking the shot or more likely making the secondary pass to the open shooter. Either way, that's that's what needs to happen. I think it will happen because I think Ben's becoming even a smarter shooter thanks to Sam Cassell. Who knows? We might actually see a more aggressive Ben attacking the rim because we saw it for a glimpse this season where he was averaging, what, like almost seven free throws a game? If we that's see that, the, That's because the All-Star Look, game we've is seen it. Up. We've seen it in glimpses from Ben his entire career. Yeah, All-Star time. That's That's when it was pretty apparent. Chris, for being such a Ben advocate, you were you were very, you know, devil's advocate here this this past section. I like it. I like it. He's coming yeah, to his senses. To do... <laughs> <laughs> Play to the crowd. That's my reputation at this point. I've said Jokic is MVP. I've picked the Bucks. I've been a Gobert. That name is not allowed in this podcast I, ever again. Gobert. At this point, I just have to have to embrace my reputation. Chris just wants to be. The malcontempt. That that is that is your role now, Chris. You just want to yeah, be the malcontempt. I'm dangerously the close to becoming the Skip Bayless of this podcast. And it oh my me. gosh! Don't do that! Don't do that! Deeply, be more like just be Max Kellerman. Don't 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 be Skip. Just be Max. Be Max. You can be the Max Kellerman. It's okay. All right, guys. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different tonight, and we're gonna give everybody on the podcast an opportunity to critique each player who's been given significant minutes this season for the Sixers. So we're going to identify one quality or one ability of each Sixer that we like and something that we dislike as part of their game. So if you go with quality, it's usually something that's non-quantifiable, you know, leadership quality, things like that, or you can pick an ability. And again, you pick one thing that you like and one thing you dislike. So let's start on the bench, and we'll start with our rookie. We'll go with Tyrese Maxey. Lucas, give me one thing you like and one thing you dislike from our young player of the season. I like his ability to create his shot in the mid-range and around the basket. What I dislike is his inability to make contact and get to the range, to the free throw line at a high rate. Because if he had that, he would be so much more uh, lethal as a scorer. Um, I mean, I think one thing I, I like is sort of going off of what Lucas said is his finishing ability at the rim, his floater game, which was, was great at Kentucky, has translated even better than anyone could have thought at the NBA level. His touch is just off the charts, I, I think that's been a big positive, along with his speed, but that's two things. Um, I, I think the one thing I dislike and one thing that I think will get better in time is his defense. He's still a bit undersized and a bit, you know, not quite there yet on that side of the ball. He's definitely gotten better these past few games. Um, I, I think his improvement arc this season has been pretty remarkable for someone who hasn't gotten consistent playing time. 
but defense is still an issue, and it's something he's going to have to work on over the summer. All right, Lucas, let's go with Dwight Howard in the middle off the bench. One like and one dislike. Uh, I was tempted to make these t- things two separate things, but I'm actually going to make it a uh, like and a dislike. I, lo- I like his emotion, but I also dislike his emotion. I like the fact that he can emotionally galvanize the team sometimes, you know, be a solid veteran leader, but I also dislike how his emotions can sometimes get the better of him and he gets stupid technicals. That's a good that's a good point. I like that, Lucas. Chris, what about that you? That was pretty much my answer. So thanks, Lucas. But <laughs> fine. I think it's everybody's answer. <laughs> I enjoy the technical fouls in a, in a comedic <laughs> sense. But I also don't enjoy them in the sense that he's gonna eventually probably miss a game in the playoffs because of I just want to say I like his alley oops. He can still get up. Did you see his elbow get above the rim on that alley oop last night? That was Oh, he still has mm-hmm. it. He's got ups. He still has ups. He just needs the cape. All right. Uh God, I don't I don't know where we're going with this. Lucas, let's talk about Mike Scott, buddy. I, I like the fact that he still has a cult following in the Philadelphia 76ers fan base. I don't like everything about his game at this point. Yes. Sorry for the harshness, but it's just, it is what it is. I like, I like Mike Scott, the person, like <laughs> the quality of him as a person in the locker room and on social media is wonderful. I, I love it. I, I, I too generally dislike the fact that he, receives minutes at all so his ability to rack up minutes per game is slightly problematic for me but yeah all right lucas let's go with Furkan korgmaz so mine is is i'm pulling the same thing i did for dwight here it's a like and just like for the same thing i like his streaky shooting i like when he's hot and i dislike when he's cold it's always been the thing for me for Korkmaz. His defense is never going to be there. He's been hot as of late, but he did have a really bad cold streak at one point during the season where Isaiah Joe actually got minutes over him in a game. And since then, he's been playing very well, but shouldn't take a rookie almost stealing your minutes to get to that place, Korkmaz. Come on, man. Look, I, unlike Lucas, am not a hater. I will just proclaim my full <laughs> adoration of Furkan and his confidence. I think it is a wonderful trait that he should continue to embrace. Um, as far as dislikes go, uh, still a bit of a, a problem on defense. Granted, he's been racking up steals lately and looking not quite as bad on that end, but defense is still a problem, especially in the playoffs. Teams are going to target the heck out of him, but I, I'm all for whatever Furkan does on offense. Let him shoot 20 times a game. I don't care. I just want to say that I like that he has ice in his veins and that he hit the game winner against Portland in Portland last year. And then this year he hit that that amazing shot to tie the game against the Bucks. So that is going to give the Sixers more options in the crunch time of a game where teams would double team Joel or even Tobias having another guy on the floor that is not afraid of a big shot is going to really help the Sixers in the playoffs. All right. He's the most fearless shooter that the Sixers have. Yeah, this absolutely. I will give him Cause he's the guy, he's the guy that, you know, will let it fly. Like Danny <laughs> reserved. Exactly. For the most part has been reserved this season. Shake Milton has been hitting it. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. Give us a cork moss. He's the most, he's the scare. He's the one guy I would say could go off for 25 on any given night. All right, and the next player, there's really nothing bad to say about this next player, so let's just stick with the positive. Let's go with Matisse Tybo. So what I like about Paul Reed. <laughs> Paul Reed. <laughs> He's not even on our list, Chris. <laughs> Lucas, let's go with Matisse. Okay, let's see here. Um, what I like, obviously, is his all-NBA defense this season. What I dislike is not the fact that he's a ba- I think he's improving as a shooter as the season gone on, has gone on. I dislike the fact that he's not taking a, enough shots this season. That's where I'm at with Thibel. Well, I quite like Matisse's YouTube channel. I think he should start doing the vlogs again. I think those were nice. You're the worst. Um, You're the worst. I mean, he's already mentioned his defense. I literally I don't want to copy Lucas's answer. 
I it's like okay for copying. We're not in school. What do I dislike is here. unlike Lucas, I am honest with our listeners. He is a bad shooter and <laughs> he needs to get better. <laughs> He's getting better as the season has progressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're right. He's just a hater. I know. Sure right, we're, let's keep it moving. Let's go to another key bench player. Let's go with Shake Milton. I I like the fact that he's developed into more of a playmaker this season. I disliked it, that the fact that it took him until this month of April to become a solid three-point shooter again. Yeah, I I tend to appreciate Shake's confidence offensively. And I, I tend to not appreciate when that confidence is in shots that are not falling very consistently. Um, he's been in a pretty... Pretty much a season-long slumps with a few, like, anomalies um, at this point. Um, He's been a a bit better these last few games. Hopefully that sticks heading into the playoffs. We've talked about his role next to George Hill and whether or not that's the problem. But, you know, Shake Shake can score the ball when he's on, and that's still something to appreciate. All right, honorable mention, uh, and we've only seen him a a few times, and I'm talking about George Hill. Uh, real quick, Lucas, anything stand out about George Hill, what you've seen so far? Honestly, I mean, he's a solid veteran. I like the fact that he's an actual point guard in the second unit and an actual veteran point guard for this team to learn from. I dislike the fact that he's as old as he is already. I wish he was a few years younger so he would fit with this timeline better. He could still get up, though. You saw that dunk. He you had a couple blame dunks. blame him for that. I saw it. I saw it. Chris, what do you think about Hill? That's ageist, Lucas. Um, <laughs> I won't embrace I, that. Hey, me old people. Um, I I appreciate George Hill's all-around talent on, on offense. I think he's going to do a lot of important things for Philly, fill a lot of gaps as a ball handler and a playmaker and someone who can you know make pay, passes out of the pick and roll, get dribble penetration, and just shoot the three ball at a high level. He does a lot of good things, really on both ends. Um, there's not a ton to dislike, frankly. Um, he came over at a pretty reasonable price. Do I dislike that the Sixers had to give up three second-round picks to get him? <laughs> sure, but that's probably what the market price was, so I'm not complaining. All right, let's go to the starters. Lucas, what are we going to say about Danny Green? I like the fact that he is still one of the prototypical 3 and D players. One of the, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Uri, but wasn't he the first player that they deemed a D and 3 player in like 2009, 2010 when he started off his career? Like that's yeah. that's the first yeah. time I heard that term was with him. So he's still doing that. That's awesome. What I dislike is with the same thing with George Hill. I wish he was a few years younger so that he could stay with this team longer in terms of being at a high level, playing at a high level. Um, and yes, Chris, it is ageist. I will take in all the hate from all the old people. Bring it to me. Um, so yeah, that's where I stand. Uh, yeah, I like the color green. Um. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. But on the court, wow. I mean, I, he's probably the most confident three-point shooter on the team, maybe besides Furkan. He takes more threes a game than anyone else on the roster. That's obviously a very important attribute on this team. And then things I don't like is when he tries to dribble the ball. <laughs> I would agree. Well, he okay, has no business driving the lane. Just I don't know why he perimeter. does those floaters sometimes, but he does. Oh, and I'm they're bad. Like, oh, they are not. definitely bad. All mm-hmm. right, Seth Curry, Lucas, go with it. I like that he's a threat as a three-point shooter. I dislike that he doesn't think he's always a threat as a three-point shooter. Take more threes, Seth, please, for the lo- everybody, for everything that is good and for the love of Pete, take more threes. Shouts to Pete. Um, I don't know who Pete is, but for the <laughs> for his love's sake, yes, please do. Yeah, I I like Seth's brother, um, and I, I also like Seth's shooting. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty big positive uh, for Philly. See my comments about Danny Green. Um, <laughs> what do I dislike? I, I probably have to just second what Lucas said. I, I wish he would shoot more and play with the confidence of 
one of the five best shooters in the league because that's essentially what he is. But he, I, I just don't think he embraces that that those deep floor stretching shots as much as he should. All right, now we're going to the Sixers big three. Let's go with Tobias Harris. I don't know if you can call them a big three, but oh, we've been over this. There is a big three. Come on. Okay. okay. Well, they're big players. Come on. The dude has a goldfish commercial. Come on. Okay. Okay. I do like the goldfish because of Boban. <laughs> Poor Boban. He got a technical. He didn't deserve it. Anyway, no. So Tobias, one thing that I like is the fact that he's like an above average defender this year, guys. It's yeah. finally happened. Like he shut down Brandon Ingram that game against the Pelicans. Like he can he can dominate certain matchups now defensively. I love that. I don't don't just like it. I love it. Uh, what I dislike about him about his game or you know whatever I dislike the fact that he wasn't selected to the All Star game. Give Tobias his love next year, coaches. You know you, he deserves it. Well, I like Tobias. I like books. I think reading is important, and I like the fact that he is spread that to a younger generation hopefully and taught kids that reading is good um what do i dislike about tobias chris has got jokes tonight man yeah he's, he's, really, you, he's on a roll every every it's, other it's, it's every other comment hard. is a every other comment is a joke all right are you trying hard. to like uh, chris are you trying to like focus your inner john mulaney or something <laughs> is that uh, what you're trying to do yeah no i can't claim to be anywhere near John Mulaney, but that's <laughs> disrespectful to John Mulaney. But <laughs> what do I dislike about Tobias? Well, he has done it significantly less this season, but I dislike when he tries to do more than he's capable of. I think that was his big problem under Brett. Is he's really not an isolation scorer. That is not his skill set. He's much better attacking downhill out of, off of screens <laughs> or catching in, you know, attacking closeouts or just shooting more catch and shoot threes. Um, he's not a guy who should be dribbling a ton and sizing up guys from mid range. That's just not his skill set. So thankfully we've seen less of that this year. All right. Let's go with Ben Simmons. Lucas. I like his, you know, you know, all the def- <laughs> defensive player of the year uh, level defense. You know, I like that. I dislike the fact that he's not being aggressive on offense. Yeah, I I tend to enjoy Ben Simmons quite a bit. I think he's a good dunker. Um, I, I enjoy his dunks. He's probably the best dunker on this team. I think that's worth something. Um, what do I dislike is the fact that we have to talk about his jumper every other week on the podcast. <laughs> to be fair. That would be my fault. That's my fault. According, according to... Every sports media, we we every Philadelphia sports media, it is a requirement to talk about his jumper, Chris. It, it is, it is a contractual. Yeah, it's actually in the fan sided contracts that we signed yes. seven years ago. <laughs> yes, it's in yes. the fine talk print. Of, you have to talk yeah. about Ben's jumper every week, or we get fired. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it is. Thank you for bringing that up, Chris. Great point. All right, and to round out the night, let's go with Joel. Hans Embiid. Uh, I like the fact that he should win MVP. I dislike the fact that he won't because he's missed too many games. Well, I like just about everything about Joel Embiid. He's a, a wonderful human being, great A person, great A basketball player. And I, I quite dislike the fact that I have to be honest and truthful and say that Nikola Jokic is MVP. Yeah, I think Chris is hallucinating because his car is really hot right now, so the he's losing oxygen. Steaming up, it's <laughs> a problem. All right, so on a serious note, let me just say this about Joel Embiid, my favorite player. I'm really proud of his elevating his game this season. He's more mature, and he's just more serious about his craft. And what is there not to like? Defensively, offensively, the one thing I dislike, and I pray to God that he does not do this in the playoffs – is he tries to do too much in crunch time, and he tries to play outside of his game. When he tries to be like Steph Curry or some of these other guards, it is turnover city. So I I love everything about Joel, but he has to play within himself and not try to do too much. And that's it. No.
Chris, you got any more jokes? You going to take us out with a joke? You got a bit? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> we're gonna, uh, we're, I think I'm going to talk John Mulaney in this just so that he can hear your jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, thanks everyone for, for tuning into this week's episode of the Six for Sense podcast. Or one of this week's episodes, I should say. We have two a week now, in case you haven't noticed. Um, yeah, we always really appreciate the listeners for giving us the time of week to talk Sixers. We have plenty of exciting guests and topics coming up. The playoffs are a few weeks away. So that will be very exciting. Um, the end of the semester is a few weeks away for my college peeps out there. That's also very exciting. And, yeah, we, we, we have a good team to watch and cheer and write about. So, woohoo. Thanks, everyone. Leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know any suggestions you have, any topics you want talked about. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify if you can. And tune in early next week for our next episode. Thanks, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.